Hello, 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 hello. Hello, hello. How's everybody doing out there? Beautiful bell breakers. Yeah, yeah. I've just given, given it to you because yeah. I, I don't even try anymore That's because it's just not going to work. Probably best. How's everybody doing out there? It is another week. Um, yeah, we're officially in fall now. Yeah, fall is upon us. Yeah, um, it's crazy. And it's chilly out like fall yeah, would be. It like instantly right. went from... I really know. warm to fall. I know my my kids started playing planning Halloween like a month ago, and but now they're like at full force. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. yeah I've just come to accept it. I know um, you and somebody else that um, we work with were saying, "Oh, I'm just ready for fall," and I was just, yeah. I'm just hanging on to summer as long as possible. And now it's yeah. just like you know, I just, I'll just accept just it. Bring on the bonfires. Come to the pumpkin spice dark side <laughs> <laughs> not the pun no 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 let's not go there maybe like the apple orchards there you go to get there the, you go. the apple cider donuts yeah. but that's about it yeah well once once football season starts i'm all in on fall so uh yeah well it it is it is october or it's almost october what a couple yeah. days but october yeah. brings baseball playoffs which Am, which are I'm, happening. I'm, which are happening. Yes. And they're completely different from usual. Instead yes. of having the typical four teams this year, because 2020 is really the only reason. Right. 2020. They decided Say to no put more. eight teams into the playoffs. So I'm watching the baseball game yesterday, I think it was, last night. Okay. The Cardinals were playing the Brewers. And if they win, they get into the, they secure themselves a seat in the playoffs. So they end up winning. And I, so I texted you. I was like, hey, uh, the Cardinals beat the Brewers, which means they're in the playoffs. And then I was like, but the Brewers <laughs> in the playoffs, too, because of who knows, because right. 2020. I, I, yeah. I, I can't explain it. It's confusing. Yeah. But, but Cardinals are in the playoffs, and that's what matters. Um, hopefully, hopefully they do well because they've kind yeah. of been on the fence of doing well lately. I, I, so. I, I saw they got Padres first round. Yep. Yep. So they're number Ranked number five, I think the Cardinals are, and the Padres are four, okay. I believe, in okay. the the National League. And they haven't so. played the Padres at all uh, I, because it's different. I I I'm not sure. Okay, I, gotcha. I, it, <laughs> I I don't know. I should have kept better track this year, but it, it's just been a weird, weird, well, crazy yeah. year. So. Because then you had the COVID period where they the didn't, weren't playing at didn't all. Play and, for like two weeks straight, yeah, right? Yeah, and then they played like every day for the last like two months, right? And, like mostly doubleheaders. So yeah, that's crazy. It's just been nuts. So that's been fun. Um, I'm glad baseball season is continuing, though, for me. Yeah. Because I like baseball. And Absolutely. I'm happy that you get to watch football now. Yeah, Steelers are 3-0. and That's good. That's really good. That's good. It, it was a little scary yesterday, um, but uh, they, they, play? they pulled it off the Texans. Okay. So um, their offense looks good. I don't know why, how they're 0-3, but um, they are. And so Steelers go on to play the Titans, who are also 3-0 next week. And nice. So it should be a good game. That should be interesting. Maybe once baseball season wraps up, maybe I'll start watching a football oh, game. Yeah, but definitely. We'll see. We'll see how that goes. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what else is going on? It's, it's not even the normal like bullshit that I'm hearing all over now that I'm getting right. sick of hearing. This week and last week, particularly, it's like these last couple of weeks, it's just been continuous political ads. Oh, my gosh. Continuous. Yeah. Like, yeah. you turn on the radio, and every single yeah. commercial is well, even political ad. Yeah, even on YouTube and Hulu, they come out, the, these political ads for commercials. Right. 
we'll be sitting there watching something and political ad will come on Teresa Greenfield in Iowa. Yeah. And my, my son will say, nobody cares. Nobody cares about <laughs> Teresa Greenfield. Yeah. What's interesting to me about these political ads, though, and this is local, so if you're not if you're not in Iowa, you don't know who Teresa Greenfield is or who's the other, Joni Ernst? Yeah, jo- Jody Ernst. Yeah. Uh, the, the funny thing to me about political ads is they'll have a Joni Ernst ad, and she's a Republican, and they'll be sitting there like, Teresa Greenfield is too liberal for Iowa. Right. Yeah. She's she's a good candidate for California, but she's too liberal for Iowa. Yeah. Vote Joni Ernst. It's like, okay, so um, you're trying to get people to vote for your candidate by saying the other candidate is too liberal. Right. You're not going to convince any damn liberal right. to yeah. vote for your candidate. Yeah. And the conservatives are probably already voting for your candidate. Right. So what are you spending these dollars doing besides just um, reaffirming your your voters Mm. vote, I guess, because they're already doing it. They're already voting for it. So by bashing on the other side as too much of the other side. Well, to them, that's a good thing. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And well, and I see I think that's the problem with politics is they're not trying to. They're not going for anybody in the middle anymore. No. They're just going for their base. Right. Right? And they figure everybody else will just fall someplace. Right. So. And, and it just further divides, and it, it just gets ridiculous. And yeah. I, I'm just tired of every YouTube video I watch, like, mm-hmm. midway through, when it's just like, watch this amazing um, performance by so-and-so, and you get all the build-up to it, and then as soon as he's about to the performance, it cuts to... Joni, vote Joni. Or yeah, right. like, I don't even want to watch this video anymore. I don't <laughs> exactly. even care. You, you ruined it for me. Thank <laughs> yeah, you. I just Thank want to you. throw my phone or yeah. or chuck my laptop across the room. It's just, it, it's driving me nuts. I cannot wait yeah. for mid-November. Yeah. A, to see what the fireworks are going to be like when- There'll be <laughs> when, some big ones. When this uh, civil war kicks off. And right. then B, specifically so these political ads go I'm just, away. I'm tired of- of the, the villainizing, you know, like, right. oh, these guys are evil. These guys are evil. These guys are communists. These guys are fascist. Da, yeah, da, 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 da. All, all the fear mongering. It's like, yeah. Yeah. I, well, okay. even it, it's even down to the local level again, oh, yeah. because they will be like, so-and-so Teresa Greenfield votes for the, the green new deal by yeah. established by Nancy Pelosi and her, her con men and blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, they're, even though it's a local election, they're still tying it to right. the ridiculous uh, federal yeah. um, oh, politics. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's all like so-and-so is is a Trump puppet, you know, or you know, <laughs> yes. or so-and-so is a Pelosi puppet, you know, yep. and trying to just tie them to those, those far ends. And it's like... And some people want to focus more on the local side, which most right. people focus primarily on the federal. But you right. do have those people that are like, I only care what affecting right. me yeah. personally like at the local level yeah. but they're they're taking it beyond the local level at this point and just yeah. the it, only just local annoying. part i care about is the fact that my damn exit's been closed on the interstate <laughs> i have to go all the way freaking around it's true three exits up to try to get to my house and, and instead it's of fixing that exit they just go dig up another one exactly so then you have one list and then i gotta go another exit up <laughs> it's like that's the only local issue i care about is stop tearing up my exits <laughs> stop tearing up the roads and stop using all the road construction yeah. um, 
abilities and putting in the damn freaking traffic circles. That's oh all they're doing gosh. is putting in traffic circles. Yes. I got a friend that he works for, uh, for a company that buys land, and he says that they're putting in more of those things. <laughs> really it's like, stupid. it's like, use those resources to fix the roads we have. Right. Stop putting in yeah, more traffic circles. You know what the roundabout is? It's just Russian roulette. <laughs> That's all it is. You just you go in and you hope you come out the right side. <laughs> yep. uh, that's funny. Oh, that's our personal life going on. But um, we do have a good show coming up for you. We uh, got a special guest on this week. We didn't announce it because it kind of got uh, finalized at the last last minute. But uh, we have John Odermatt. He is um, the co-founder of Lions of Liberty podcast. He hosts uh, Felony Friday which is a, a podcast that exposes um, a lot of the issues and a lot of the, the shit in the, the American criminal justice system. He gets guests on from um, different walks of life that, that have experienced this, whether it's somebody who's um, been to prison or somebody who's, who has a family member that's dealt with um, issues in the criminal justice system. But um, yeah, he's had this show going on for a while. So we got him on uh, specifically to talk about Breonna Taylor and all all the stuff going on around that because that's tied into um, a lot of the protests going on right now, specifically this week because um, the police officers weren't charged. Right. At least most of them weren't charged yeah. with well, anything. Yeah, one of them got a really light charge. Yeah, and the only one that got charged got super light charge. So um, he had a lot of information on that case so we wanted to get somebody on to talk about that because we haven't really had a chance to discuss that with right. everything else going on in the world right and this seems to be sparking a lot more or um of the same shit right. that's going on more yeah. riots going on uh, and unfortunately this is what round four or five i mean we got kenosha a couple weeks ago and now we're we're back on breon taylor right. for a site this is breon taylor 2.0 yeah it is 2.0 yeah so um yeah we we Already recorded the interview with John um, earlier tonight, so um, he, yeah. we're, we're going to kick that here in a little bit. Just wanted to warn you, there is some awkward pauses during the interview. That's not because we're just awkward people or or, or John is just awkward yeah. or anything. There was like a seven-second lag or delay on our Zoom chat, so we'd be talking, and then we'd stop, and it would take like six or seven seconds for him to respond. Yeah. So just wanted to warn you about that. If I had more time this week, I would edit that all out. I would sit down for hours on end and edit all those pauses. <laughs> so bear with the pauses. Get over yourself and just listen to the content. Put on your big boy pants <laughs> right. and deal with the delays. <laughs> because John's got a lot of good stuff to say. He's a, he's a really great guy. Um, he Like I said, he's a part of the Lib uh, Lines of Liberty conglomerate, I guess you could call them. Um, they got five or five, three different podcasts. Now you guys are going to have to have five because I said it. I just predicted <laughs> that you guys have five Expansion. podcasts. So you need to expand really quick. But uh, definitely uh, check out his interview. He gets into, like I said, Breonna Taylor. And then in the second half, he breaks down um, some ideas he has for reforming the current uh, mm -hmm. police force system or uh, criminal justice system. So you got that to look forward to here after mm -hmm. I click this intro. But I got to get to the point where I click that intro. So do we keep talking? Do I click the intro? What should I do, Bill? Do um, we want to keep rambling? No, I say let's you get think this we party should get started. Into it. We didn't get let's to ramble much because we were talking to John. I know, and he's not a rambler. 
We're going to get right into this in, uh, interview with John Odermatt of the Lions of Liberty podcast here in like 30 seconds. Enjoy. We'll be back. What did you say? You talking to me? What? What the heck are you talking about? What did you say? What did you say? What did you say? Are you talking to me? Are you talking to me? Are you talking to me? What are you talking about? What are you talking about? What did he say? What did he say? Are you talking to me? Well, maybe he was talking to me. What did you say? Talk to me. What in heaven's name are you talking about? Talk to me, talk to me, talk to me, baby. Did you just say? What did you say? You listen to me. Are you talking to me? Are you talking to me? What the hell are you talking about? Who are you talking to? All right, everybody, ladies and gentlemen, we are back on the Break the Bell podcast. And um, as we kind of alluded to before, um, we have a special guest on today. We've never actually spoken in person. I've kind of had some social media interaction with him. But this is John Odermatt. He is the co-founder of the Lines of Liberty podcast, and he is the host of Felony Friday, which is um, a podcast that expo it exposes the injustices of the broken criminal justice system. Does that sound right, John? Did it, did did I get that right? Yeah, I think that's what I do. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> that's John is trying to do, yeah. Trying to shine shine a light on uh yeah, on the criminal justice system. All right. It's good to have you on, John. Um first question is how did you uh get into this whole criminal justice thing? Because um you've been doing it for how many years now? <clears throat> yeah, long long time. Um so I'll give you the the middle version, not the long version or, or the, uh, the short <laughs> okay. version. Mid-range. Uh, yeah, essentially, I mean, to set to set the stage, uh, I grew up, I, I still live now outside of Pittsburgh, but it's also where I grew up, and uh, grew up in, in suburbia, so very much insulated from, you know, a lot of the typical things that you, you would see, people getting arrested for uh, drug possession, things like that. Not that everyone in my high school was angels. Of course, there were people using drugs, mm. but you didn't see people, you know, getting sent away to uh, to prison or, or violent acts, you know, happening happening around the uh, the war on drugs. Mm. So, you know, as I got older, went to college and graduated, um, I did have sort of a distorted view on on the uh, war on drugs, and really, I'm you know, politics in general. I was uh, hardcore conservative back then. Mm. I voted right. for. George W. Bush, and, you know, I wouldn't say I supported the war on drugs, but mm -hmm. I thought pot should be illegal, but I think everyone my age did. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I was like, I, I stopped there. I said, well, you know, after pot, we don't know about this other stuff. I don't know if we should legalize all, all these <laughs> other drugs. But uh, I got sent in my first job down to uh, right south of uh, Atlanta, Georgia, in a town called McDonough, McDonough, Georgia, small town, backwoods, Georgia. Great place. Met a lot of interesting people. And uh, that was probably the first place I was really exposed to people, working with people who had a little bit of a uh, criminal background and, uh, mm -hmm. and getting to know them and starting to understand, starting to like break through that, you know, outer shell that I had to realize that, 
you know, there's people out there who have, you know, been to prison for um, drug offenses and, you know, they're just like, just like you or I, mm -hmm. but still it wasn't, I wasn't fully, I didn't fully get it. And uh, I got uh, moved out to uh, our facility out in uh, California, Colton, California, which uh, people familiar with the area, uh, Colton is about an hour and 20 minutes east of LA. It's sort of in like the, the desert area. I think that area is called the Inland Empire. It's a lot of manufacturing industry, stuff like that for a bunch of railroads come together and cross. So that's why there's okay. all the, all the uh, manufacturing jobs there, but very, very rough, uh, rough and tumble area, fair amount of crime. Um, but when I got out there, one of the first things that my boss had me do was have me work with human resources on hiring new people because we were expanding to like another shift and we needed to needed to expand our workforce. So I got started with that. And the first thing the HR manager had me do was review resumes. I don't know why that was the first thing you had me do. It seems pretty stupid in hindsight, <laughs> bring in this uh, green college kid to pick your workforce. Oh yeah. <laughs> they they, they know best. Those, those people know the best workers, right. the people that come straight out of college. Exactly. All these, all those college classes just had me so, so educated, so much smarter than these, uh, these other people. But uh, so I started going through the stack of resumes and I'm, you know, looking at it and I'm seeing like every, literally every other resume is like felony, possession, uh, misdemeanor, uh, drug, you know, drug possession, drug paraphernalia. I'm like, whoa, this is, this is crazy. All these people are criminals. <laughs> so thinking right. I was like doing the right, thinking I was doing the right thing. I started pulling all those ones out of the stack and uh, took them out had a nice small stack, took it to my plant manager and said, here you go. Here's who we need to uh, take to the next step of the uh, you know interview process. And he looks at the stack and he's leafing through it. And he's like, why did none of these people have a criminal record? And, well, I took them out because yeah, right. that's what you do. Right? Well, yeah. <laughs> and uh, he's like, like, he's like, John, like half the people out there have a criminal record. Like our best workers have a criminal record. Like, oh, okay. What are you doing? <laughs> so so that, I mean, that was a serious wake up call. And then like on top of that, getting to, uh, you know, getting to work with, you know, getting to work with them, getting to know them, going golfing with these guys on the weekend, having fun mm -hmm. and just, you know, coming to an understanding that, um, you know, people make a mistake and, you know, we can talk about also as my, you know, philosophy evolved, I would say really, not really a mistake in the eyes of the, the law. It's a mistake, you know, selling mm -hmm. drugs, but you know, people made a mistake in the eyes of the law and they did time for it and they, and they deserve a second chance. So that was like mm -hmm. the setup for, I moved, ended up moving back to Pennsylvania and I met my now wife and we're dating and, uh, her brother is in college and gets arrested and they got him for selling uh, small amounts of marijuana four or five times to a uh, undercover cop and the cop came back and kept like increasing the quantity he was asking for oh, wow. to get oh, to the wow. point that he could be charged with multiple felonies baited much. And like the, and what's that? I said baited much. <laughs> they're, they're freaking yeah, baiting, obviously exactly clearly baiting him. That's... If they, they keep asking for more to get up to that, that right. point, they're obviously baiting him. Yeah. It's it's entrapment, really. And I don't know how common that is in other states, but back in that time period in Pennsylvania, that was super common. And there was corruption that's been exposed since then, not to get too off topic, mm -hmm. but corruption has been exposed that 
Um, there were judges actually invested in uh, private prisons and things like that. So it was just a, a cluster at the time. Yeah. So he ends up getting sentenced to, um, I, I don't know, it was like a couple of years in prison, ended up serving about a year, ended up having to live in a halfway house. Mm. And that's when I realized like, because after you get in the halfway house, you got to get a job. You got to be able to show that you're productive in order to get out of the halfway house. If like uh, our family didn't support him, if his parents didn't support him and, you know, people support him driving him around here and there because he couldn't drive them a license, he would have been screwed. Uh, right. So I started to realize just like this recidivism built into the system that it just sucks so many people into it. Mm -hmm. So that was like the light bulb going off that really set me down the path to really start digging into it. And I started off writing articles just about crazy things that would happen in the criminal justice system, cases similar to what happened to my brother-in-law, just, just exposing it and writing about it, kind of trying to put like a, a face to these stories. Mm -hmm. And then uh, my counterpart at Lions of Liberty, Mark Clare, he started up the podcast that I don't know, is that six, seven years ago now, something like that. And uh, he did it for a couple of years. And he said, you know what, we're getting so many more people listening to our podcast than we're reading our articles. Let's just do another podcast. So he encouraged me to start Felony Friday. And uh, I started it thinking I was just going to be sort of talking about crimes that were happening. I didn't really expect to be interviewing people who did time in prison and things like that, but mm. just kind of evolved into that. And that's really what mm. I'd say 80% of my episodes now are someone coming on the show who's been to prison, you know, maybe a drug crime, but I've had people on the show who have, you know, done violent crimes in the future. I actually mm -hmm. just talked to a contact today that I'm going to be having on people on interviewing people on death row, which oh, is wow. going to be crazy. Um, and just getting their side of the story, hearing from them mm -hmm. and understanding what they went through, not only like, uh, for especially people with the nonviolent drug, drug crimes, the injustice of that aspect of it, but just how screwed up the prison system is with, um, mm -hmm. You know, it's it's just like a black hole. They throw people mm -hmm. in there, and, yeah. and they're not given any uh, any resources. Yeah. Um, you know, when they get out back on the streets, you know, they've been there for 10, 15, 20 years. They don't know how to work mm -hmm. a cell phone. They don't know how to freaking right. swipe a credit card. Like, yeah. just hang and out then and dry. So then just they sort have of that, exposing the whole thing. And like you said, it's got a built-in recidivism, you know, that, you know, you're going to – most likely you're going to go back in. Once you're out. And you you got um, those uh, college guys that are out there like throwing your resume in the <laughs> trash because they have a felony on them. So how they even they, they need to get a job when they're on parole, but they can't get a job because some sorry, sorry to say this, but some assholes throwing their resume in the trash. No, it's true. That's 100 percent true. And that's like the ironic thing is. And that's sort of what pulled me into it. It's like I saw myself kind of come full circle. I'm like, wow, I, I mean. There's a lot of people as stupid as I, as I was. So right. if I can learn this, mm -hmm. I'm not a genius or anything. I think most people can figure this out. Sure. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, the, the primary reason, sorry to pull you off of that, but the primary reason I had you on was because um, I think it was just earlier this week. Um, I saw you did a live stream. It was the same day that um, the, the cops that shot Breonna Taylor during the uh, Breonna Taylor case, um, they had just got... Um, basically they weren't being sentenced or even like charged with anything. And it was that day that 
the judge decided or the grand jury decided not to charge most of them all of except think, for the one yeah, police one officer. Yeah, one guy got charged. He got charged with um really light. Yeah, well, it was because some of his stray bullets went into another right. apartment. Not not for the bullets right. that it went was into like endangerment or something. Yeah, it wasn't for the ones that went into Breonna Taylor's body. Right. But the ones that went into a, a the neighboring apartment. So otherwise um yeah, you did a live stream talking about that and um, we've been meaning to talk about this case. We just haven't got a chance to. And so when I saw that uh, you were doing this live stream, and obviously this is right up your alley with uh, the podcast that you do, I I thought, hey man, um, why don't why don't you get on and talk about this? Because you seem to really know what's going on with this case. So want you um, can you just give us uh, maybe a brief overview of the case? I'm sure most people have have kind of heard about it, but maybe some people don't really know what we're talking about. Yeah, sure thing. Um, so I think most people do know like the the bare minimum of what happened. You know, right. it was a it was a well actually there's some controversy now if it was a no knock raid or not, but I'll talk about that. I was gonna minute. ask you about that. But actually. it was a no knock raid. Yeah. And, it was, it was and, a no knock raid and you know, police officers coming in. And John, originally didn't they say that um they actually had gone to the wrong apartment at the when this thing first started, didn't they say, Well, the police went to the wrong apartment and stuff and so there was a little bit of confusion on that. Yeah, I I was listening to one of your early episodes when you mentioned it, and that was one of the first things you had said was, Hey, police showed up at the wrong apartment and shot the wrong person. So there's confusion from well, you the get go of what to happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'm just saying, obviously there's confusion from the media. From the get-go, not just from yeah, you. Yeah. Obviously, you were getting that from somewhere, right. hopefully. But that was the narrative that was being built originally. <laughs> yeah, and I'm not. I'm not sure. Like what? Yeah, what started that? But yeah, that was definitely out there at the beginning. I'm not sure if that was who that was put out by. If that was put out by the police for some reason to kind of throw people off the case or what. Mm -hmm. But that that was definitely reported. And uh, turns out that that's not the case. What it was is they got the warrant um, based upon well, like the backstory on it is Brianna Taylor was dating a guy who was a drug dealer, drug dealer, Jamarcus Glover. Mm -hmm. And so Jamarcus Glover was not living with Brianna Taylor at the time of the shooting. Um, but apparently he was still having some stuff delivered to the house from time to time. So they were able to get the warrant. They were watching this Jamarcus Glover and they got the warrant because he had gone to pick up a package from Brianna Taylor's house. And that was like all they needed to get this warrant. They have no idea what was in the package. Could have been a pair of shoes. Could have been whatever. Uh, could but, have been drugs. I don't know. But well, I think nobody he, knows what it was. And there, I think he had said, uh, Jamarcus had said, um, kind of in her defense, that he was getting his um, packages delivered to her because his place get it, kept getting like broke into, and he didn't want his mail stolen off his porch or something. So that was right. kind of his excuse for her, like why she would have been picking up mail for him. Whether or not that's true, that that's kind of what he had said about it. It would make sense. Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, it's perfectly reasonable. Um, so Jamarcus is not living there. Um, Brianna's current bo boyfriend, Kenneth Walker, was uh, you know there at the time. And, and Kenneth Walker is the one who fired the shot at police officers after they busted down the door and just started spraying bullets. And I think, you know, this is what I read, and this kind of changed a little bit over time, but I think there, so there were three officers that were there, and it's still not clear to me if all of them entered the apartment immediately. Um, uh, Officer Cosgroves fired 16 shots. 
And the officer who got uh, the wanton endangerment charges, Brett Hankinson, he fired a number, a number of bullets. And Detective Mattingly, another officer there, I've heard that he was the, the first one to enter the home, but I haven't heard how many Is times he the one that he got fired. shot. So the only one, and I've seen this. What's that? Oh, I would say, was he the one that got shot? Because I, I know one of the police officers got shot. I believe so. Okay. I don't have okay. that in front of me. Yeah, I think so. I'll pull it up. I'll no, pull Breonna it up. Taylor was shot. No, Breonna, no, Breonna Taylor was shot six times. But mm, uh, okay. And I, I saw this posted like in a in a meme. I mean, it's kind of funny, kind of sad at the same time. But uh, the only bullets that ended up in charges were the ones that did not hit Brianna Taylor, the ones that went wow. into the neighboring apartments. That's what right. Fred Hankinson basically got charged for, for firing indiscriminately. Hmm. Well, so, I think they but, had but, said that he just fired through a window that the blinds were drawn on. So he was just firing through a window that he couldn't, firing even, blind. couldn't even see what That's was crazy. behind the window. It's nuts. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Imagine if just one of us did something like that. Yeah. Right. Be arrested yeah. immediately. You'd already be in jail by now. Right. Easily. Yeah. Well, and then I, I but, read that the, I mean, uh, the thing the thing that gets me here. Go ahead, John. We we got kind of a delay here, so is, I noticed that. Yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of hearing hearing uh you guys talk later. I, I don't know. Yeah, there's but uh, there's a delay. Sorry. I don't know if that's on my end or what, but. Um, anyway, so the thing that I think is a distraction here is obviously, is, you know, divisive environment. This has been made into uh, a huge racist event that this is entirely based on race. I don't think this is based on race at all. I think this is just a example of how broken our criminal justice system is in a number of ways. It's broken. They were able to get this warrant in the first place where they were able to, to go and break down someone's door um, just based on really hearsay evidence. I mean, mm -hmm. nothing, nothing concrete. And that's even putting aside the fact that, you know, we should end the war on drugs, but we can mm -hmm. talk about that later. But, and, and not only that, I mean, people are saying, you know, these officers should have been charged and yes, in a more just society, of course they should have been charged, mm -hmm. but based on the laws that are in place, they're protected. This, the judge issued mm -hmm. this warrant and they executed the warrant as as written so they can always fall back to well we're just doing what we were trained to do just do what mm -hmm. we were trained to do and they're not going to bring charges against these officers and then lose for the case they know they can't win right yeah um i had read yesterday that um the one reason why uh they got off as much as they did is they is kentucky has was it kentucky that it's in or whatever Kentucky, state yeah, it's yeah, in Kentucky. Kentucky. Yeah, Kentucky has like really strong like self-defense laws for for police officers. So, um that's why they're not being charged because because a shot was fired, they legally based on the laws of Kentucky were allowed to just fire as many shots back as they wanted basically is what is what the Kentucky law that's said. Ridiculous. Um and and then in on, on addition to that what I had heard was that the police officers then uh, broke protocol and uh, contaminated the crime scene. Yeah, I was going to get into that tour later on. Yeah, that that's that's new evidence coming out. Is the one officer that was charged? They have body cam footage 
um, from later on that evening, and he came back on the scene and was like asking, "Well, is there guns? Any any guns uh, uh, visible? Is there any?" Specifically, he said, is there any long guns visible? I'm not sure why he was asking if there was long guns visible when they pulled a 9mm out of the officer that was shot. So that, that was strange to me that he was specifically looking for a, like a long rifle. Hmm. That is weird. And what would be the problem if there was a long rifle? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. If maybe... He's trying to justify more that that right. there was a sniper like shooting at him or something. That's right. the only thing I could think of. But yeah, it went, uh, the several articles that I read specifically pointed out that he was asking, "Is there any guns around that are visible? Is there any long rifles visible?" And are you trying yeah, to justify? Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not sure what that was about. Yeah. So. I mean, just just to get back to this being just based around racism again. And, you know, I think I do agree there's systematic racism in policing. This is not an example of it. And mm -hmm. the unfortunate thing is if we had Black Lives Matter and conservatives and progressives all just get around ending no-knock raids, you could get it done in a couple of days. I mean, mm -hmm. that law would get passed. Right. But people aren't interested in like real reform. Something like that right. would actually save lives. No one's interested in that. People are interested in just getting angry, be, getting divisive, mm -hmm. getting elected, raising money. No one's interested in actual solutions. Now, I, right. I will give uh, Louisville, say Louisville credit, because they actually, after this happened, they went out and they banned no-knock raids in mm -hmm. their, in, within the city, which is awesome. Right, because it, this isn't an isolated incident. I mean, there's been incidents with no-knock raids throughout the country for years. I mean, where they've... You know, people have been killed. Cops have been killed. I mean, pregnant women have been killed. Pregnant women have been killed. <laughs> women with babies. I mean, it's just been yep. kind of a constant issue with the no knocks. I mean, is there any any reason for a no knock? Like, can you justify a no knock? I know in um, one of your key points um, in reforming the criminal justice system is banning no knocks. But can you see a point for it? Like, what if somebody's like um, a flight risk, or he's going to like bolt out the back door, or um, I, I, I don't know. Is there any example that you can think of where it should still be justified or you say, just get rid of it altogether? I mean, I would say get pretty much get rid of it altogether the way it's written now. I mean, even like if there's an active shooter or something like that, that's, that's not a no knock rage. You're engaging mm -hmm. with an, an active shooter. So even if you have a, a violent criminal who's, who's on the run, you know, say they're holed up with, you know, with a family hiding. If you have a violent criminal and you're trying to apprehend them, would you want to jeopardize the family, the lives of the family they're hiding with, that he's hiding with, in order to apprehend the criminal? Or would you rather wait until he, you know, makes a run out to 7-Eleven to, uh, right. to get him? It just, it just doesn't make sense to me. The whole, you mm -hmm. know, the tactical, the tactical reasons behind it, they say they do it for safety. But in all aspects, it makes everyone less safe. It makes the police officers less safe. It makes the people in the home less safe. Mm -hmm. The the actual person trying to arrest less safe. It makes all the the neighborhood, the you know, the neighboring buildings, neighboring apartments, neighboring houses, it makes everyone less safe. Mm -hmm. And and it's not just I mean like a couple of officers coming in no knock. I mean it's a SWAT team coming in fully armed, busting the door loaded, off the hinges, right? You know, semi-automatic weapons. I mean, loaded to the teeth, flash grenade. Bang, you know, it's just like 
So it's much more than just a couple officers coming through the door. Uh, so it's come out since that um, that they they initially had a no-knock warrant, and then at the last minute it got changed to a knock warrant, which I, I kind of feel like maybe that's them trying to cover their asses because um, they had warrants out for like four or five different houses for this this warrant, the same same uh drug bust there was like four or five different houses involved and all all of them had no knock warrants issued so at the last minute they decided for this particular one hey let's let's not do the a no knock warrant do you do you buy that or do you think they're just trying to cover their ass now well I, unless i'm missing something i don't think the actual warrant was changed i think they're saying that they knocked right well i had and read they're saying they have witnesses but it had to be I had read that um, it the warrant itself got changed to a, a knock warrant, like at the last possible second. Um, it, it might be true. I, I hadn't seen that. I, I know that they uh, they asked, you know, at the time it happened, they were asking people people around the scene if they heard the officers announce. And that day, they, were, they said no, we didn't hear anything. And then, mm. like five six days later, they came back again. Who knows what happened in that time frame? And all of mm. a sudden. Um, there's neighbors saying, oh, yeah, we heard the police announce. So, hmm. yeah, put a little pressure on them in different ways. I, I don't right. know. Yeah. Right. It's, I had heard that it was possibly asked. I, I think I read that it was asked like four or five times before the guy was finally like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, I did hear that they knocked. And they said, they said, this is the cops. When did the police actually say this is the cops? I have never heard a police officer <laughs> refer to themselves as the cops. Uh, on the show, this cops. Is, <laughs> this is the popo. Yeah. Yeah. We're the pigs. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. So it, e even if, even if they announced, so you got three plain clothes officers rolling up. Let's say that they, you know, pounded on the door. You know, Brianna Taylor and her boyfriend are asleep in their bed. It's pounding on the door and they're screaming, It's the police, open up, it's the police, open up. And I don't know how their apartment's situated. Say they're able to look out. They see it's just three people dressed in plain clothes mm -hmm. with guns drawn. It's like right. anybody could say they're the police. Like, right, how right. Do you, how are you supposed to trust that? Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Anybody, like if you're really trying to get the door to open, the fastest way to get somebody to open the door is to say you're the, you're the cops or right. you're the police. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I, I understand that. And um, his defense then was that he thought somebody's breaking into his house. And so he says he fired a warning shot at the ground, which happened to be supposedly the bullet that struck the one police officer in the leg, which um, they're saying was obviously clearly his because it was a nine millimeter bullet and he had a nine millimeter pistol and all the police officers had forties uh, or 45s. I can't remember, but evidence is coming out now that one of the officers was issued a nine millimeter as well. So he could have had a nine millimeter on him. So the, um, the ballistics are coming back that it's not either proven true or proven false. So the ballistics that supposedly proved that this guy even shot a cop aren't even necessarily so true at this they're point. They're saying they may have pulled a training day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, that would be, <clears throat> Put my tinfoil hat on there. Yeah, that would be something. <laughs> they just shot the cop. <laughs> yeah, like, all right. Ooh, ooh. This time. It was yeah. probably it was probably the guy that shot through the window, shot his partner right. in yeah, the leg. Right. Yeah, really. You're like, okay, probably whose turn good. is it? <laughs> so yeah, um, I assume the, the I mean, cops normally 
cops normally have uh you know a lot of them carry six hours uh right and then 40 smith and wesson so mm-hmm. i would assume that's what most of the uh hmm. the ammo was but who knows so do you think the guy was justified uh, at at shooting even not a warning shot shooting at the people busting down his door off the hinges he says it was a warning shot but in my opinion i mean if somebody's breaking down my door, I'm going to fucking shoot at the door, too. Yeah, well, I actually heard this uh, from Jason Stapleton recently, not talking about this case, but talking about, oh, God, where was that? Some, somewhere out west where uh, a guy, his business establishment was being uh, run over and vandalized, and the guy fires two warning shots in the air to try to scare off the uh, the vandals, and they end up, one guy attacks him and he shoots the guy who attacks him and kills him. And then this is initially Omaha. they didn't press charges, but they, they, they ended up pressing charges later because uh, he had posted some things on Twitter saying, you know, if somebody attacks my business, I'm going to kill him calling that terroristic threats. And he, and this guy ends up killing himself. Cause yeah, this, this was in, this was Omaha, which is only like maybe three, four hours Omaha, from here. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, he just committed suicide. What? Like, Four or five days ago, not that long ago, because yeah. because yeah. of all this mess. But with regards to that, so we fired two or three warning shots in the air, and uh, Stapleton was saying, never ever fire warning shots, because if you're firing a, you should only fire your weapon. And police are taught this; they're taught this in the military. You should only ever fire your weapon if your life is in danger. And if you can fire a warning shot, your life is not in danger. Mm-hmm. So you should never ever fire a warning shot. You shoot mm-hmm. and you shoot. You shoot to kill. I mean, if your life's in danger, you should be trying to defend your life by shooting to kill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense because, um, as in the case of this, if he had fired a warning shot and missed a police officer, they're still going to unload their magazine into that house because they heard a gunfire. They're not going to wait for one to be accurate and hit them before they decide to to fire. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like. Um, if you're, if you're shooting your gun, make sure you're shooting at what you're intending to shoot at, because you're probably going to be the, the next thing that's going to happen after you pull the trigger is you're probably going to get shot. Yeah. And this doesn't really relate to this case, but I had a business law professor in, uh, in college, which weird that a business law professor would say this, but he would say this at least one time during class, during every single class, if anyone ever breaks into your house and you get into a, a gunfight with them, make sure you kill them. Otherwise, they'll make up some crazy shit and you'll end up in prison. So, <laughs> Words to live doesn't by. really apply to this case. You know, it, obviously, if you know it's police officers, don't don't just go shooting. But <laughs> if right. somebody's trying to rob you or something like that, don't just try to shoot them in the leg because you'll end up in jail. <laughs> yep. Yep. You'll get sued by the person that was breaking into your house. It's like in some states... Um, I, I've heard, I don't know how accurate it is. You hear of somebody breaking into your house and they like slip and fall in something and break their right. ankle then and sue. then they turn around and sue you. Just like, you're breaking into my freaking house, dude. Yeah. How are you going to sue me? <laughs> um, so now, is, um, is Kentucky, is it a, a stand your ground state? Is it, I mean, was the guy, does he, you know, is he justified in, you know, defending himself like that? Well, he didn't get charges pressed against him. He did initially, okay. and then they got dropped, right? Kentucky is yeah. a castle doctrine state, so it has okay. stand your ground law. I don't think okay. I don't think that would apply here though. Yeah. 
Um, uh, I'm not sure the grounds are that they didn't charge him. I think that might have just been right, sort of they, public relations. Yeah, right? they yeah. felt bad about it, so we're going to let you go. Yeah, Sorry we killed your girlfriend. So much shit going on. They, I mean, if they would have charged him, their entire town would be more burnt down than it was. Yeah. Um, so from what I've read, the family of Breonna Taylor won a wrongful death suit against the city. It was like... Twelve million dollars or something like that. Yeah, I, I heard ten or twelve million. So my question, I so, guess, is it, it's kind of like the O.J. Simpson case, I guess, but that death suit came after the criminal trial. Um, if you win a wrongful death suit, how is it that the police officers are getting off for a wrongful death when um, the civil courts deemed them obviously in the wrong? For the family to win the suit, but then the criminal charges came after the the death suit. It sounds like so. How did nothing happen to these people if um they won the wrongful death suit? That just that that blows my mind to me. It's different between civil and criminal, yeah. so they don't have to they don't have to prove without a shadow of reasonable doubt in a civil ca- oh, okay. case. Yeah, I I would say you know it, I think. It is surprising to me that the this settlement happened first. Yeah, I think this would have taken longer. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they I don't I don't think the city of Louisville wanted this to go into like a you know a civil trial where more would be aired out for the public and so twelve million dollars to uh you know kind of keep some of that under wraps so it doesn't come out. I think it's just more public relations, really. Um you know, it's it is. It's admitting that that they did things wrong, right? Um, but like I said before, like even if they even if they did things wrong, it's not necessarily going to be enough based on the laws that are in place. Mm-hmm. And the cops can always go back to their training. Well, this is what we were trained to do. We're just doing exactly mm-hmm. what we were trained to do. They can bring in a uh, you know a, a witness, a uh, special witness who can testify to how police officers are trained and they follow the training X, Y, and Z. And and you're screwed, and that's and that's why mm-hmm. these cops always get off, because they can basically do whatever they want. Right. Yeah. Now they um, you, we mentioned Louisville has banned no knocks. Is there any kind of bill on the table nationally or, um, to ban no knocks, or is that something that they're just kind of sweeping under the table right now? Yeah, there's uh, Rand Paul. So mm-hmm. Rand Paul has his bill to uh, ban no-knock raids nationwide. I don't have the name in front of me, but it has Brianna Taylor's name in the bill. I was going to say, I think it's like Brianna's Law and, or something. Yeah. I'm sure you guys remember right after the uh, the RNC, Rand Paul's yeah. leaving, walking back, <laughs> yeah. and you have the protesters yelling at him to say Brianna Taylor's name, <laughs> yeah. shoving him, threatening him and his wife. It's a ridiculous like, scene. I put it on a freaking bill. What more do you <laughs> <Right>. want? <laughs> you mean tattoo? It's ridiculous. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, that bill, that bill could, I mean, that bill could be, I don't know if the Senate is in session now, but whenever they're back in session, that could be freaking brought up immediately. They could do it. It would pass the Senate, it would definitely pass the House. Democrats would be on board. Is it going to happen? No, it won't happen. No, no, it won't. No, because the Senate isn't about actually getting shit done. It's just about, um, playing the political game back and forth. Um, hey, did you hear what the Democrats said? No. Hey, did you hear what the Republicans said? No. It's it's just 
all this back and forth bullshit. And that's that's what the the Supreme Court nomination obviously is going to be here coming up in the next couple of weeks. That's that's everything anymore. The Senate gets nothing done. Look at the stimulus check. They won't agree to it because the other side wrote it up. And when they try to come to terms with it, they they come up with something that's supposedly, hey, we we met middle grounds. Then all of a sudden, Mitch McConnell's like, you know what? Nope, we're not going to do it because the Democrats actually sided with this shit. Yeah, it's, it's so politicized at this point. And, you know, not to get on, on a different topic, but right now with uh, you know, nominating a su- Supreme Court justice, with that, I mean, it, it's so hypocritical how things have just changed exactly 180 degrees. And, you you know, you go back to 2016 and it was the Demo- the Democrats trying to, you know, put their justice in before Obama was out of office. Mm-hmm. The only difference mm-hmm. then was Democrats didn't have the power, so they couldn't do it. Right. Um, now the Republicans have the power. They were against it then, but of course they're for it now. And it looks right. like they're going to do it. So, yeah, there's no principle. It's just it's all about yeah. power. Right. Absolutely. I I feel like if it ever came down to like where they actually had to make a a, a decision um, based on um, the facts surrounding them, not politics, I, I don't think any of them would have a freaking clue what to do just because they've just been play, playing this power grab so long that it's just like when you get something like, say, Brianna's bill um, come through where it's just like, Hey, we can both agree on this. It's like they're all staying there scratching their heads like, well, what do we do? We we both kind of agree on this thing. This thing is bad, but I can't sh- I can't look like I'm taking sides with that them. Right. So, I I I don't think they even fully understand how to do their right. freaking jobs anymore. Yeah, it's just about combating each other. Well, they have to shove a bunch of other crap into the bill first before they vote on right, it. Right, yeah, yeah. This is a so crime bill. Point to something else. <laughs> mm-hmm. so we want funding for the national parks and the arts. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like the last stimulus bill had how many millions and billions of dollars that had nothing to do with a stimulus. Right. It was just funding whatever the hell they felt like funding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... Anyway, back to uh, Brianna Taylor. We kind of get off topic all the time on our show, so <laughs> so you you can look forward to that. Um, so, I like it. yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> I guess, I mean, in in a perfect world, how does something like this go down? Like, let's say, let's say, let's rewind back to where it first started going wrong when um they they. Uh, got the warrant based on her picking up a package like in what world does that does that merit a warrant like a a a raid just somebody picking up a package like how i mean how do you how do you justify that like i i feel like that's where this whole thing started going down the wrong path is when when they when the police have the power to issue a warrant based on some such like unprovable evidence and it goes all the way to the point where hey we can break down a door and start shooting um well that's why you know that's why we should all kind of be be in fear when we see something like this i mean there's i think there's a lot of people on the on the right side on the conservative side who will say you know in response to brianna taylor getting shot in a no-knock raid, or even like Duncan Lemp, when, you know, he was shot in a no-knock raid in the middle of the night too. 
they'll say, well, you know, if they just, you know, if, for Brianna Taylor, well, if she wasn't just involved with that guy selling drugs, this never would have happened. Or with Duncan Lamp, well, if he wasn't posting stuff on Instagram talking about militias, this never would have happened. Um, well, that's freaking ridiculous because it can, <laughs> this proves that it can happen to, you know, absolutely anybody. And it's, I mean, there's stories I've talked about on Felony, Felony Friday before where, you know, they'll base a warrant on going through someone's trash. And I remember one story, I forget where it was, mm -hmm. they found in someone's trash, like uh, it was actually leaves from someone making tea, but they <laughs> thought it was pot. They were able to get a warrant based off that and did a, uh, did a no knock raid on, I think it was like set of like 70 year old grandparents. Holy um, they based no knock raids on somebody going to the store to buy lights for growing, growing lights. And they raided a house and uh, they were just growing tomatoes. It, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't anything else, but I wow. mean, to get to like, to the, to the whole point of this, I mean, talking about like a perfect world, what's it like a perfect world, obviously a perfect world. You don't have drugs illegal. You have it regulated on the free market. And uh, that way you wouldn't have, you would take that, you would take the regulation of drugs out of the hands of the police departments. It's a waste of their time. It's a waste of their budgets and it makes everyone less safe. Yeah, um, and I want to get to that in the second half because I kind of mentioned a little bit. You have your um, seven steps of criminal justice reforms, and that that's one of the big ones is um, is legalizing drugs. And I'm assuming your your view is legalize all drugs, not just marijuana. Like a lot of people can get on board right now with legalizing marijuana, but I'm assuming you mean just legalize them across the board. Um, and we can get into that more, but I, I just, I don't want to put words into your mouth. So I just wanted to make sure that's what you're saying. Yeah. Legalize. I'll say it this way. Yes. All drugs should be legal. Um, the government should not dictate what you are allowed to put in your body, what you're allowed to sell to your neighbor, um, what you're allowed to open a business and, and sell to, uh, to willing customers who, uh, who buy, you know, products uh, consensually. Um, with that said, of course, I'm going to support, you know, a bill to just legalize marijuana or mm -hmm. a ballot initiative to, you know, legalize medical marijuana. I've realized that things like this happen incrementally and it's, we're not going to have a giant step where we wake up tomorrow and the drug war is completely eliminated. It's going to be kind of nicked away at over time. Mm -hmm. Do you have something about Oh, I was just, uh, I, I was reading because I had seen something you were asking about how they uh, got the warrant. And um, I'm sorry, we're backtracking a bit. But um, there, this is an article where it says um, that uh guy was offered a plea deal if he would name Brianna Taylor as part of uh, uh, the the syndicate, this run, drug running syndicate. And so that's that's how they got her name. Yeah. So, which plea plea deals? I mean, that's well, a, no, no, that, a whole different thing. That actually happened. That happened after. Oh, it did. Oh, gotcha, so, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, when I first when I first saw that too, I thought the same thing, and I was like, "Oh, light bulb moment! I see what happened right. here." But no, that actually happened after she was killed. Gotcha. And which is equally as equally as shady. Well, yeah, it's trying to cover their tracks. It's worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because yeah. you pick up because I think it was what the ex boyfriend that that. Um, pointed like named her because they picked him up the exact same day at a different location. He was nowhere near the site that she mm -hmm. got killed at, 
she was he was like at, at the other houses five miles away from um where she was but yeah um somehow they managed to get him to say her name um as a co-conspirator or whatever you want to say but yeah after the fact that she was killed um why why push this guy to say this other than right. like you were saying maybe to, to cover their asses yeah. cover their tracks and be like, well, look, she obviously was part of this, so we are justified in breaking into her house and, right. and putting six and bullets into her. How the officers were not charged with obstruction from, you know, again, tampering with the crime scene, you know, um, you know, trying to push, you know, evidence and witnesses to say different things. I mean, it's just, but like you said, police officers are protected in this system, so they, they have that ability. And I think people don't understand just how fucked up the system is because honestly, they could have arrested Brianna Taylor and prosecuted her with her ex-boyfriend and put her in prison for 30 years mm -hmm. just based on being a co-conspirator. I, I know this because I've seen it happen. I've had people on my show that have been through this where they do something simple, as simple as answering a phone from someone um, who's calling about drugs and just passing on a message to uh to a drug dealer or just driving a car, not even like driving a, you know, a car, knowing it's a drug deal, just transporting unknowingly drugs. Or if that's yeah. not, even if that doesn't happen, they can just go out and uh, they can find somebody already in prison and say, Hey, we'll uh, reduce your sentence here. Give you some, some leniency. If you just say that you bought uh, X amount of drugs off, uh, off of this yeah. woman. Yeah, and like, uh, it happens all the time. It's, I mean, yeah. it's, it's called ghost dope. People go to jail all the time for ghost dope. They go all the time for hearsay evidence. And it's, it's ridiculous that this stuff is allowed to happen. They yeah. can, they can, they could put any of us in jail if they wanted to. And that's why if you ever do get charged, especially in a federal indictment, you're not, I mean, you're not going to win. So mm -hmm. just, just cop a plea deal. Even if you're hundred percent innocent, they will freaking rake you over the coals and put you in prison for 50 years. And the, um, if you, if you don't take trial. the if you don't take the plea deal, they will slam you with the max too. Oh, absolutely. I was listening to I can't even remember who the guest was that you had on, but her boyfriend got uh thrown he got picked up for some drug charges or something and they didn't take the plea deal because they thought for sure they were going to get off with it. Like everything looked like all the way up to the point that they were going to get off with it. Then all of a sudden it came down that they were found guilty, and because he didn't take the plea deal, he was given like a life sentence or or some some exorbitant sentence like mm -hmm. that. Be solely for the reason that he didn't take the plea deal, they they gave him the max deal. Yeah, I think that was a recent episode with uh, Cynthia Solis and uh, her husband. Uh, I think his name is Baldemir. Yeah, I think he's in jail for life. Yeah, and that that was kind of a different one where they they also brought into the trial there was no charge but they floated this idea that he had put a hit out on a police officer which mm. there was no evidence of there was an article written in the paper with the police officer pretty much accusing him of doing this with zero evidence and then they brought that into the trial as evidence in this drug trial and that's one one of the ways they they're able to get that life sentence was because of that sort of similar. I mean, to what they did to Ross Ulbricht in a federal trial. Mm -hmm. I don't know how familiar you guys are, are with that case, but 
No, they alleged really. in the Ross Ulbricht trial, Ro- Ross Ulbricht, the founder of Silk Road, um, you know, guy that's in jail basically for creating a website on the oh, yeah, dark yeah. web where people could anonymously, uh, you know, sell mostly marijuana. Um, you know, it, it was he banned. You know, there was there's still stories that there was like uh, uh, you know pedophilia pedophilia on there stuff like that. That stuff was was not allowed. Um, it was. You know, there were some ethics behind the site. Um, mm. Things were anonymous and encrypted, um, but most most of the sales were, were were just people selling marijuana to each other. But federal agents uh, infiltrated the site, and they were acting as administrators. And then during the trial, none of that was allowed to be uh, brought up in the trial that they huh. were acting as administrators, and they blamed all of the actions of administrators on Ross Ulbricht. And Ross wasn't Ross's legal defense wasn't allowed to say, oh, but also there were federal agents that were uh, administrators of the site. And then these federal agents also right now are in prison for stealing Bitcoin off of Silk Road. Oh, so wow. I mean, the whole the whole case is complete so, garbage. But and I guess I didn't mention the part that brought me to that. And they also accused Ross of putting a hit out on one of the other administrators on the site or one of the other high rollers on the site, whatever it was. But very likely, it was just one of the federal agents acting as his username, doing that same thing. So it, it blows my mind. Like, why why was his legal team not allowed? Like, obviously, this is off of um, Breonna Taylor case, but it's very related to what we're talking about. How was how was the legal team not allowed to bring this up in the trial? Because that obviously would have um, gave some leniency, possibly, to this guy in the sentencing, in the very least, but also in um, the reasonable doubt area of whether or not he was doing guilty of any of this stuff. If if they brought into the trial, hey, these federal agents were posing as administrators. Obviously, it's going to be really hard to prove that um, this guy was doing anything illegal as an administrator if if they were doing the same thing. Yeah, and there were after Ross was in prison. There were sign-ins under his Dread Pirate Roberts account while he was in prison. So oh, wow. no, it couldn't have been him. But it, it comes down to, I mean, the judges just have the power to do that. Mm-hmm. Is the judge being influenced by other uh, other parties? Mm-hmm. Possibly. I mean, this, you know, you got to put it like, put this in like time frame. It was, this was when Bitcoin was first getting big. Mm-hmm. If you remember Chuck Schumer. Um, coming out, he was very much against Bitcoin, and this is the the currency of drug dealers. Blah blah blah. Um, I think it was just you know pressure that this guy had to be made an example of. They had to make an example mm. of Ross Ulbricht. Well, it's sad. It's it's ridiculous. The that all these stories. I mean, we've obviously jumped around from Breonna Taylor, but starting with her, but um, it doesn't just. It's no. just not a one-time uh, thing. Well, and it, it establishes. I mean, just the pattern of the system and and how you know it it it's designed to screw people over. Mm-hmm. I mean, like he said, if they want to get you, they're going to get you. I mean, right. there's nothing you can do about it. And the court is. I mean, it's designed to favor the prosecutor. You know, anybody who has to get a defendant. You know, unless you're rich, you're going to end up with a a public defender, and um, you know, they're they're book solid so they don't care you know they're going to do plea whatever they can to get this thing done so they can move on to the next case right so well i think that's about the time we have for the first hour um we want to dig into some of the other stuff like i said that um you're working on for the second hour um i don't want to hold you up too late tonight so um, we're going to go ahead and take a break i think um 
and then move away from this Brianna Taylor stuff and get into uh, your views on uh, the reformation of the criminal justice system. Like, like you mentioned at the beginning of the episode, um, this has kind of been your life for a few years now is just talking about this broken criminal justice system, seeing all these people that have gone through it and been screwed over by it. So uh, you've kind of come up with your, your list of uh, seven things that, that need to be reformed in the criminal justice system. So I think after the break, we're going to kind of dig into that a little bit and get your views on that and see, see what that's all about. So um, everybody just go ahead and uh, take a break, stretch it out and get a drink and Smoke be back if here. You got them. Smoke them if you got them because uh, John said it should be legal. So uh, <laughs> we'll be right back in just a couple minutes though. Hey everybody, I just want to take this time to give a big shout out to the very first sponsor of the Break the Bell podcast, that is Goulash Media. They can be found at goulashmedia.net. Uh, Goulash Media specializes in graphic design, web design, audio recordings, video work, wedding videos, uh, music videos, even political campaign videos. Uh, Goulash Me Media caters to the little guy with the big vision. You can check them out at goulashmedia.net. That's G-O-U-L-A-S-H media.net. Have you ever thought that maybe voting, maybe all this politics constantly surrounding you is not the way to achieve freedom in your life? Hi, I'm Remso W. Martinez, and I ask myself the same question. That's why I'm on a journey to find true freedom in my lifetime. From learning about financial independence to new ways to develop rugged individualism to amazing guests living strange, crazy, amazing lifestyles that you've only thought might be real but actually are. Go ahead and check out my new show, On the Run with Remsa W. Martinez at the We Are Libertarians Network. You can find On the Run with Remsa W. Martinez on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play. You know how the internet works. Come on down and let's discover how to achieve real freedom in your life together. All right, everybody, we are back and back from that wonderful break. Um, we are here once again with John Odermatt of the Lions of Liberty podcast. He hosts the Felony Friday on the Lions of Liberty podcast. And as we were mentioning earlier uh, at the first half of the show, he talks about uh, exposing the injustices of the, the criminal justice system, exposing how broken it is. Um, his show brings on guests that have gone through it or they have close close relatives that have gone through and experienced this firsthand. And so um, we're just going to get into, as we mentioned before, he has his seven uh, criminal justice reforms. He's written an article, I think, about this, correct? And you just kind of... Yeah, I think I wrote this back in like uh, 2014. Oh, no, wait, it was only uh, June of 2020. <laughs> I was going to say, it seems like forever ago, but it wasn't really. It was like just shortly after um, the, the George Floyd thing came out, I'm pretty sure, is when you mm -hmm. first yeah. started talking about it. So why don't you just go ahead and uh, yeah, it's, it's get into that for us? Yeah, it's, it's really crazy how, how weird this freaking year has been. But uh, yeah, so the, I mean, this, I guess what it really forced my hand to write this was seeing really nobody else doing it. 
Mm-hmm. I'm kind of putting together like a package of, you know, what we really should be striving for here. And I was seeing a lot of people popping up on my uh, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, all of a sudden interested in policing reform and criminal justice reform and abolishing the police. But uh, they didn't really know what they were talking about. You know, they kind of mm-hmm. thought if they changed their profile picture black for one day, that was right. going to change the world. <laughs> yeah. So just trying to, just trying to get people, you know, around a, a group of ideas and kind of explain some, some things. And I, I don't go and do like a lot of, you know, I don't go super in depth on any of these mm-hmm. in the article, but uh, no, we, we can, we can talk more in depth on it if you want to today, mm-hmm. sure. but the seven are, and these are in no particular order of importance, but uh, demilitarize, demilitarize the police, decriminalize all drugs end occupational licensing, ban no-knock raids, end qualified immunity, stop the use of taxpayer funds to pay, uh, to pay for victims of police brutality, and end civil asset forfeiture. That's okay. a great list. So after I did put this together, though, um, this was during the time that Justin Amash was, I think he was still running for president, Libertarian Party, I'm pretty sure he stole my list from me because I saw a tweet <laughs> come out from him with this exact same list like two days later. Mm. So Wow. Oh, well. Was that in uh, the first or second week that Justin Amash was running for president? <laughs> I think that was week two. <laughs> <laughs> so start wherever you want. Um, all of these obviously have a lot packed into them right. and a lot of reasoning, obviously, why you, you would come up. This isn't just a list off the top of your head. Well, like... Uh, the first one, de- demilitarize, demilitarizing the police. Is that just refer- referring to like their equipment, like how they they roll out tanks if they need to? They're getting um, used military equipment, um, or or exactly how deep does that go for you? Yeah, like just to describe it real quickly, like what I what I mean by it, and to explain to people how this happens, like how do these tanks end up on the streets in you know local town or local city, and there's a, a program for it, the 1033 program with the Department of the Defense, which started in the 90s, I believe, under Bill Clinton. Could be wrong. But uh, actually, Obama kind of rolled it back a little bit. It made it more difficult for that flow to happen. And then Trump, when he got back in office, his executive order in 2017 ramped it back up and made it easier for police departments to access this equipment. And I think like the the, the part here that I think it's important and maybe a lot of people miss it when they talk about police militarization, but this to me is a symptom of our foreign wars of foreign adventurism mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. the military industrial complex. This just kind of completes that circle. So, you know, you have all this military gear going overseas, going over to, you know, to fight in faraway lands. And then, you know, these military industrial uh, companies, um, you know, they need to, keep churning out the equipment. They need to keep the stock price up. They need to, you know, keep uh, being able to donate to politicians to keep their influence in Washington. So uh, it, it, this 1033 program allows that equipment to cycle back through and continue to be used. It keeps the demand up for the military to need the tanks and, and, and everything else. Um, so it's, I mean, just the, like the, from a tactical standpoint, militarized police on your streets in your local town. I mean, it, it just turns things on its head from the standpoint of, you know, you're not, you're going from 
um, really the police serving. And I know it's, it's rare today to, to see police serving the public, mm. but that totally goes away. And it just, just from a, uh, just the aesthetics of it, it's a very forceful thing. And it, it goes from, you know, it's turning your city into a militarized zone just based on the equipments and the, uh, the gear that these cops are wearing. Well, and you, you really get away from the uh, the community-based policing that was so successful in the 80s that you saw, like, in New York City and stuff that kind of took that out of the cesspool. And we go into, you know, this, this you know, pro-fight you know fight terrorism, like you said, kind of really digging down in the drug war. Um, I, I did um, a, a paper on militarization of police a while ago, and to me, it, it just blew my mind, like, what some of these police departments were coming up with. You know, like, these podunk police you know little towns coming up with a huey chopper and and like total body armor and then you know wow. rpgs i mean it just blew my mind it's just um what the police departments could come up with and like you said it it it's really um you know it's scary you know you don't want um you know an army on your block you know patrolling yeah, that escalates shit really quickly. oh yeah absolutely and it's interesting to me that you mentioned that it came in the bill clinton era because that's when um, kind of things were ramping down from war. There wasn't a lot of military mm -hmm. adventures going on during the Clinton era. So um, obviously these uh, military businesses or complexes, the military industrial complex, whatever you want to call it, have to keep making their money somehow. So it's interesting that it came around during a time where there wasn't a lot of wars going on. Mm -hmm. So like you said, they... I mean, they got to keep making their money. So, hey, why don't we just turn around and give it to the police and keep demand high? Right. Yeah, and it definitely was Bill Clinton in 1996. So I verified. I think I said early 90s before. I guess that's actually mid. -90s it's interesting that all these uh, criminal reforms, you know, that were so stringent happened during the Clinton era. You know, <laughs> right. The the minimum ma mandatory minimums and you know three strikes you're out rules you know it's just uh, things that have been you know really overcrowding our prison system. Yeah, I mean that's not to say that you know just just Democrats are, are responsible for. Oh it. no, I, mean, I know that know, Reagan obviously <laughs> ramped up the, the war on drugs yeah. more so than probably any other president, but. But yeah, I mean, I think if you talk to just a person on the street, they would assume that probably Democrats have been more friendly, which has not been the case at all. Mm -hmm. No, it's never the case. It's always seems to be uh, the the two sided coin, two two faces mm. of the same monster, or whatever you want to want to call it, because um, it doesn't matter which side's kind of been in power for the last at least like 50 years since the war on drugs started in the very least um nobody's really done much to to change that and to kind of um bring bring things down it's it's been kind of escalating ever since and like you said maybe obama brought it down a little bit but i i don't think um tensions really came down that much um right and i think that was in response to the ferguson that he tried to Right. You know, roll back that back some. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so John, uh, what, uh, yeah. so what level of, of, um, of armament would you say would be appropriate for like a, like a police force in, in your eyes? I mean, well, I mean, reform. as long as we're allowed to have tanks too, I'm okay with it. <laughs> well, I'm good with that. I want a tank. Um, That's true. <laughs> 
I've, I've heard that you're able to get a tank. It's just there's a lot of red tape to get to that point. You just have to turn over worth everything. It. So worth it. Your entire life over to the government to, to sift through it. But uh, I, I, I don't know. Um, I think we need to get it kind of all ties together in that the, the police are doing way too much. I mean, they're doing mm-hmm. way too much with enforcing the, the war on drugs or doing way too much by pulling people over for, if you have a brake light out, you know, why are we pulling people over for that when you could just get their license plate and mail them a ticket? Right. Like it's, it, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of ridiculous. Like I kind of look at it like let's minimize the amount of interaction between police and civilians It'd be great if we could privatize police. Maybe some towns will eventually. I know they were talking about abolishing police and, you know, making it more of like a uh, social worker type thing, but also with a uh, violent task or with a task force that could respond to violent encounters up in uh, Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. I don't know where that stands right now. You know, I, I think like at the end of the day, it would be good to have different states, different cities, different municipalities or towns experimenting with different ways mm-hmm. to, to police and kind of figure out, you know, a new path forward. I, and maybe it's not going to be the same every place, you know, maybe in, you know, me living in suburbia is it's going to be a different police force than it is in, uh, in Philadelphia or, or in New York right. city or, yeah. but I think the, the general answer is we have too many freaking laws and we need mm-hmm. less laws. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, you mentioned possibly privatizing the police force or, or what, whatever you want to call it. Um, how would you, how do you regulate that? Because we have a hard enough time regulating a public police force. Um, I've seen because there, there has been privatized military forces such as like Blackwater and stuff like that, that just got like completely disbanded because, um, they were completely unregulated and they just go and like, just completely tear shit up and. Um, there was, there was no, basically no stipulations on them. And so they had to be completely disbanded because of all the horrible things that they did. How do you regulate or how do you, how do you, I, I don't see how a privatized police force works. I've never really put a lot of thought into it, but it, it, it seems kind of scary to me. Well, I mean, they have to operate under the assumption I mean, you have to operate un- under the natural law that obviously we're not going to start wars with, with, with you know, with, with uh, the, the neighboring town. Um, but, I mean, to put it simply, like, whoever is employing that police force, they should be determining what the, uh, what the rules are. And it should be consent. Mm-hmm. And you say, well, how are you going to get everyone in a town to consent on, you know, what should be policed and, you know, what, what should be the role of the private police in the community? Well, it's probably going to be pretty damn small what their role is to get everyone to consent to it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if there's breaking and entering into someone's house, I think people would probably agree that maybe the private police force should be allowed to respond to that. Right. Or, uh, you know, if, if somebody was, was killed, you know, maybe uh, the detectives, private detectives, well, probably okay to, uh, to bring them in to investigate a murder. And I, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm just making this up as I go, but right. I, the bottom line is I think a lot of the stuff would just be determined by the free market and mm-hmm. based on communities working together. Like a lot of the stuff we, we think about, like from a libert- libertarian standpoint, how can any of this work if we don't have a central authority telling us exactly right. what to do? Just people working together, determining the best, best course of action. And I don't know if they're going to get it right the first time, but you, right. you make adjustments and you make it better. 
and I, I like I'm an I'm an optimist. You know, I don't think mm-hmm. that private police forces would devolve into warring factions of city states and you know nuclear nuclear <laughs> arms going back and forth. I think it would work a lot better over time. It would have a much more peaceful society. Well, I know like um, some cities they uh, they don't respond to like alarms. You know, they they farm that out now. So um, because it just takes too much time to respond to electronic alarms that go off. So like a company will provide a guard service and they're the ones that will respond to the alarms. That way it keeps the police out of it. They can do whatever else. So maybe some kind of model like that. Well, I like to play devil's advocate. I like what you're saying, but there's always a flip side to it. Um, You look back possibly in like the forties, fifties, sixties, like specifically like in the South and stuff like that, where different towns, regulated things differently based on their own personal beliefs or what have you. And that's when, when people were getting lynched in the middle of the streets and the the entire entire town was okay with it and shit like that. How do you, I mean, how do you, how do you counter that? I guess like, cause you're going to get some rural towns in some certain parts of the country that are going to be slightly more racist, I guess you could say than other towns are. And so, um, they're going to obviously probably that's going to come to play when you're having a, a, a privatized police force. Yeah, well, I think the way a lot of libertarians would respond to that, I'll say how they would respond first, because I would respond differently. They would respond that just the nature of having decentralized power, it would be easier to overthrow um, a a, a government like that, that that was abusing rights, that was you know permitting slavery or doing something terrible like that. I think that's true, but also, I am I am of the uh, belief that I'm for individual liberty all of the time, even if that comes from a federal government that has to come in and um, stomp out a uh, say if a state was uh you know starting to have slavery or something like that if we lived in a society that you know that was more free and something like that was was starting to happen um i'm totally okay with a federal government coming in and and stomping that out so that's i mean i'm not sure exactly where i'm kind of lumping all libertarians in one basket i don't think everyone everyone falls falls there just on the decentralization but uh you know i, I think like like the way that donald trump handled coronavirus he left it up to basically the governors and the, the states to determine their best course of action. Mm-hmm. And there's been some that have handled it in a more authoritarian way. And there's some that have handled it in a more lax way, letting businesses operate, letting businesses determine their own, uh, their own regulations. Um, so I, I think that's, you know, that's, that's favoring the, the, the choice there and the ability of the individual states to have, you know, their own, you know, states' rights per se, but, you know, you, you have, not, get, not to get way off topic, but you have pushback now from Democrats uh, saying that, you know, well, if Joe Biden was president, he would have locked down the country and it would have been, would have been right. better for everyone. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a trade-off. And now I've gotten so off topic, I forgot what the question was. <laughs> I don't remember either. Oh, we were talking <laughs> that's about- That's how we roll yeah. here. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You answered the question, so that's good. <laughs> Um, maybe switch course a little because we kind of talked about the decriminalization of drugs and you have on here actually on your list decriminalizing all drugs. So that answered the question I had earlier. Uh, maybe uh, break that down just a little bit more because you alluded to how 
Um, things would be a little less violent. Things would be a little bit safer. I, I'm sure you have all kinds of critics saying, well, well, how is it going to be safer by uh, legalizing drugs? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, people, I hear people say that all the time. And uh, actually, I just had on a, a, a guy who's running for state senator in Pennsylvania as a Democrat, John Padora. He's running on legalizing all drugs, on having safe injection sites. So he's getting some crazy pushback from his uh, constituency. Oh, I'm sure. But uh, it's, I mean, to look at it just from the general standpoint of drug dealers. So you have drug dealer Joe and drug dealer Bob, and, you know, they have their territory and maybe they have some deals in place. And maybe one of their, uh, you know, minions goes out of line and evades the other's, other's territory violates the contract per se, even if it was just a verbal contract, violates the contract. So can Jim and Bob go to a court and say, you know, we got to arbitrate this dispute. You know, Bob's taking my money because he's in my territory, blah, blah, blah. No, they can't do that because they'd both be arrested. They'll be exposing their, their drug rings. So the mm -hmm. only way to arbitrate disputes, not the only way, but what often ends up happening because to be honest, uh, a lot of these individuals, a lot of these people are lacking education, they're lacking in de-escalation tactics, and it oftentimes resorts to violence. Um, there is no way to arbitrate this in a, uh, to arbitrate financial disputes or territory disputes in a, uh, in a safe way. So that's one aspect of the violence. So decriminalizing drugs would ease, ease, ease that from that perspective. But also there's all the violence that we talked about with Breonna Taylor in the first part of the mm -hmm. show with police mm -hmm. officers um, knocking down doors right. and killing people that way. There's also um, just the environment that is created by having drugs illegal, which drives drugs onto the black market, which drives these transactions and uh, this marketplace into the hands of the people who are most comfortable with risk, which oftentimes are people who are maybe deemed by society more dangerous people or, you know, people who are, are willing to, you know, maybe take a bigger risk, risk their own life, maybe risk the family member's life in order to make money. Mm -hmm. And then in these uh, inner cities and in these urban areas where uh, the drug dealers are the ones making the most money, they become the role models in that society. They're driving the, the best cars. They're getting the, the prettiest girls. They're having the best life. And they're, but to a young person growing up in that, they don't see another path out. So that becomes sort of, sort of a way, a way forward. And, uh, you know, that becomes sort of like a, uh, like a men like a mentorship in, uh, in often, often, res often respects. And I've had guests on the show before, and it's hard to believe this, but I've had multiple people tell me this, that they remember being three and four years old and their first involvement with the war on drugs, the first involvement with drugs is being asked to, Hey, can you go, uh, you know, take this uh, envelope here and put this under the garbage can? Someone's going to go picking something up. And then a little four-year-old going out, you know, put money under a garbage can for a, oh. for a drug drop. So they get involved it. in this so early. And people point to, you know, the problems in our cities. And yes, there are, you know, issue, systematic racism issues and, and things like that, which are causing issues. But the war on drugs is tearing at the fabrics of societies in, in our inner cities, and it's causing such a horrible problem. And if these drugs are legalized, is that going to make things become great the next day? No, 
because honestly, and, and it, it also, I mean, depends how in depth you want to go, but I mean, it's, it kind of depends how the drugs are, legal, are legalized. I mean, we're kind of mm. seeing in a lot of states with marijuana that have legalized recreational drugs, they legalized it and, and it's licensed out to uh, the people who mm. are in favor with uh, the politicians are the ones that are getting these grow licenses and these distributor right. licenses, these, me the, these uh, medical marijuana licenses. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of, uh, it's pushing out the, uh, the, the jobs that would normally, the, the, the current drug dealers are, uh, mm -hmm. are, uh, are holding down. So, I mean, if you just opened it up and you deregulated society to the point where, you know what, especially just, just talk, just talk about marijuana for a minute. If you made it so anybody could, I mean, if you didn't have regulation around selling marijuana, it's a plant. Mm -hmm. If somebody could grow 10 plants in their house and sell to their neighbors around them and make some money, um, I think that would go a long way just to easing, easing tensions and creating an actual marketplace that creates community. Right. Well, and you look at, um, I mean, by decriminalizing drugs, I mean, you take care of, you know, the need to not militarize the police. Um, you look at a, um, a, like a reduction of the prison population at that point, because retroactively, you know, nonviolent offenders, drug offenders would be released from prison at that point, which would greatly, I, I think the uh, nonviolent offenders is like 80% uh, in prison. And so, um, I mean, it would go a long way to all that. Plus you can use the drug, um, uh, the money made from that to go towards treatment programs. I know in Europe they have a lot of safe injection programs that um, I guess are pretty successful. I think they've tried them in you know, uh, America, in like Philadelphia and New York, and I don't know how they've done in America. Um, and do you know our safe injection sites? Have they been successful in the United States? I, I don't – maybe there have been some. I don't think there's any in Philadelphia. I'm searching now. I, I know the most successful one – that I know of outside of the United States is in Switzerland. Right. And they started that in 1994. And there's, there has not been one overdose from uh, oh, wow. the safe injection site. And a lot yeah. of people end up getting off of heroin. And people say, well, how, how does that happen? How, how does someone just get off of heroin? And I don't know if you guys have ever heard of the book, uh, Chasing the Scream by Johan mm -hmm. Hari. No. Outstanding book. Highly recommend the audible version an entertaining audible book with voices and just a great job narrating it. It's not done by him. It's done by someone else, but in it, he talks about really like the root cause behind a lot of drug abuse, drug addiction, overdoses. It's not the drugs themselves. Just, there are some chemical triggers that, that do play in, but a lot of times it's, it's depression. It's dealing with, you know, just people having different struggles in their life and turning to drugs as an outlet um, in order to make them forget about, you know, the things that are going wrong in their life. So if you have a safe injection site and you're also able to help someone out, get, get back on track with finding a job or, you know, getting some fulfillment in their life, then that, uh, you know, that, that's going to be a trade-off and the desire to, you know, to sort of, to block out and to, uh, use the drugs to sort of, to, uh, to block out what's going wrong in their life can, can really work. And there's been experiments done where they've done it. I mean, there's been experiments done with mice and also in real life settings. Uh, but the experiment with mice that Johan Hari talks about is it took mice and uh, you put them in a, in a cage with two water sources. And uh, 
in, in the first cage, you put mice in a terrible environment. You put them in there. They're not allowed to have sex. There's no wheels to play on. There's no fun they can have. There's, um, they're just, they're just hanging out basically in the worst environment you could ever imagine for a mouse. But they have two water sources. One is just water and one is water with a little bit of heroin in it. And in that environment, all the mice, maybe it's rats, maybe it's rats are doing with all the rats end up drinking the heroin water. You do another one where they, they call it uh, rat paradise, where you have the same two water sources and they, you know, they're letting the, the rats have sex with each other. They have wheels to play on. There's an amusement park. They do whatever the hell they want. Sounds like and of course the rats, they go over, they taste the heroin water, but they end up going back to the, uh, to the regular water. And this, I mean, this is played out in, in the real world it happened with, with Vietnam. When our troops went over to Vietnam, a lot of them, you know, living through that nightmare, seeing their, you know, best friends, you know, be blown up and mm -hmm. just horrible things. They got addicted to, to opium and uh, they came back here. A lot of them, many of them were able to integrate back into, into society, start businesses, find jobs, get fulfillment and, uh, and kick the drug habit. That's pretty interesting. I've never heard that experiment. Um, um, yeah, but it makes sense that that um, you have kind of those holes in your in your brain or chemical holes that are causing de the depression or whatever. You're you're missing that um, because I I assume life experience kind of fills in those like those dopamine effects or whatever. That that's why people like get hooked on being like a daredevil or, or doing like extreme sports and stuff. It's kind of like that, that same drug to them. So life experience can still fill in those same holes that opiates or, or whatever, whatever drugs are, are filling them in. It has that dopamine effect on you. So it, it would make sense that if you're not getting that stimulation externally or from life experience, then you're going to turn to, um, getting that fix from, from drugs or, or, or heroin or what, what have you to, to fill those voids, those chemical voids, um, which most people probably don't even think of the fact that a lot of your, your happiness or your, your moods and stuff comes from chemicals in your brain. It's not just this like emotion, this random vague emotion out there. It's like chemicals in your brain that that's doing shit out there. And so, um, yeah, you, you get those like, I, I'm not a scientist, but you get those like spaces in them that, that, uh, the drugs like fill in those, those voids and, um, becomes dependent on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I'm not an expert in, in recovery and I, I don't pretend to be one. And I'm not going to say, you know, what I just talked about with you just, you know, adding for film, it's going to work for everyone. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm a big proponent, proponent of making all options available mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, letting the experts determine what works best for, for individuals and, and putting all that on the table. And one of the, like, one of the most damaging policies I've heard of come out right now of the recent campaign season with Biden and Trump is Biden talking about mandatory drug rehabilitation for drug arrests. So you get mm -hmm. arrested, like possession of heroin mandatory rehab, which, I mean, I don't know if you guys you know, know people who've been to rehab or have yeah. talked to them. Like that's not something that you can like mandate. That's something no. that you will have to yeah. be ready for. Yeah. That's just a terrible idea. Now, if you go in with a wrong mindset, you're going to get exactly what you go in there looking right. for. You're going to get 
jack shit out of it. You're not going to get anything out of it. And you're just going to be constantly looking for that guy that can get drugs snuck into rehab to give them to you. <laughs> you're not going to be, um, if, if it's a mandatory thing, it's like mandatory fun. Um, I don't know if you've, I was in the military and one of the things they always, um, did was this mandatory fun day like every month and it's just like nobody freaking wanted to go to that thing it's like we just want to go home and have our own fun so so you what get an what, example of something they did for mandatory fun uh usually we'd just do like a cookout and so the worst person would they'd barbecue they grill like hot dogs or something would and you then, like your burger well done yeah yeah exactly um i don't know it's just a group of people we work with all the time probably 90 percent of them i can't stand so hey let's all hang out and have fun and have like um mandatory fun i mean yeah there's that handful of people that i liked but guess what i'm going to be hanging out with them on the weekends <laughs> anyway you don't have to force me to hang out with those people that i already like it's the other people i don't want to hang right. out with so mm. so that that's what um it reminds me of going to mandatory rehab yeah you're not if you're being forced into rehab like the first thing they say is the first step to to quitting is admitting you have a problem. Well, if you're being forced into it, you're not admitting to anything. You're just right. like, well, you're pissed off. I I'm here because I have to be. <laughs> yeah. I like your idea, John, of um the uh, uh getting rid of the occupational licenses. Um, I feel like uh, that's really in place as kind of a gatekeeper. You know, it kind of the you know, the unions, um, you know, the people that have been in the industry that have the connections in the community as, you know, they're able to kind of, you know, protect their, their, their corner of the business and decide who comes in and who comes out. And so, um, we see that a lot in, in Iowa, you know, you have to have a license to install security systems and install and do fire alarms. And so, you know, a lot of people who are trying to get a start, you know, they have to jump through real hoops in Illinois where we've looked at getting a license, it's it's impossible. I mean, you... That's a union state, too. Well, I know it's a union state, but it's completely it's completely oversaw by the unions. The test, the licensing process, I mean, it's... And it, it is impossible to pass um, and get a license there unless you have the right connections. And like you were saying earlier, um, putting less responsibility, I guess, on the police officers... <laughs> um, like giving them less things to do. This is just one of those examples of things that it's like, really we're paying them to go and enforce the hair salon over there to have a right. license to cut my hair like this. It, right. It's just like, isn't there anything better these people could be doing right now? Yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. And there was a story, I think it was the beginning of 2020 might've been, I don't know, but might've been longer ago, but, there was uh, in Florida, there was this like bus, this, uh, it was entrapment really, where they set up a bunch of handymen and they'll call them into this site and, uh, you know, say they were licensed to, you know, be electricians, but call them in for a legitimate electrical job and then they'll, they'll start performing the electrical job. And then they'll have somebody say, well, hey, well, since you're here, can you come take a look at this plumbing over here to fix this too? You're already here. So. <laughs> oh my God. And they'll freaking get them doing something they weren't freaking licensed to do. That's horrible. And find them. And it's just ridiculous. Just a, uh, a money-making scam. And then, mm -hmm. then the people have that on the record and it, it ruins their lives. Yeah. So, all it is yeah, is. This is just less. Go ahead. Go ahead. 
I was just saying all it is is that a money grab, like you said, and it's just a way for um, them to charge and tax people more mm-hmm. on based on things. And uh, an example of that in Illinois is, and this isn't necessarily like um, like job licensing, but uh, to purchase a weapon in Illinois, you have to have this FOID card, whatever that is. I, I don't even know. I live in Iowa. But you have to have this, like basically a license to purchase any firearm or any any ammunition or anything like that. It's not like a concealed carry or something, but for like shotgun ammo, you have to. So my brother, um, he lives in Illinois and we were going to go shoot shotguns together. And so we went to the local Walmart and they asked him for a FOID card to get shells for a shotgun. And so he gave it to him. I'm like, well, shit, I don't have a FOID card, so I'm not going to be able to buy it. And she's like, oh no, you're out of state. All All I need is your driver's license. So clearly it's not a safety thing. It's just a freaking money grab thing because if it was a safety issue, me not having that FOID card, I wouldn't be able to buy ammo from there. Mm. Yeah, that's all they care about is getting the money. And I liked uh, Joe Jorgensen, the Libertarian Party candidate, who I've I've had a lot of things I haven't liked about her campaign. Some I have, but I loved her answer when she was was asked about when she was on – Mark Claire's podcast on Lines of Liberty. Um, she was asked about. So how how would you, how would a you know Jorgensen administration help single mothers you know people who are struggling to uh, to make a better life? And she went right to occupational licensing, and I thought it was a great point because say you have somebody who you know maybe they're a single mother with two kids and you know maybe they work a, a full time job but they're not really not really getting by during the week. But maybe you know maybe she's good at doing makeup or uh, or cutting hair and wants to you know have like three or four appointments on the weekend to make some extra money. Can't do that without a license, and that's I mean that's holding people down. So I mean that's the way that that libertarians and people who are more who are in favor of more freedom should be attacking an issue like occupational licensing. It's to even the playing field. It's to allow people who you know have maybe had some rough breaks in life who are trying to fight their way back you know, to give them a couple of rungs on the ladder to, to fight their way back up rather than pushing them down with mm-hmm. these freaking regulations that, no, you have to go to school for X many hours, which they don't have in the first place to do, or you got to pay $3,000 to get this license. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's all bullshit. It's all about um, that American dream thing everybody aspires to or thinks they're aspiring to. It's just like, well, yeah, you can achieve the American dream, but you got to pay this for the 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 schooling for it then you got to pay this to take the test for it and then then after you take the test for it you have to pay this x amount to get the licensing for it and then you have to have these um inspectors come in and and do their thing you got to pay them too so yeah there is this american dream out there but they don't mention all the the hoops that you got to jump through to get to it right Nobody wants a police officer rolling up on a little girl in a lemonade stand. That's that's true, and yeah, you see that too. Like you you see the the videos of the guy where the police officer rolls up to a guy holding a yard sale sign, and the guy's like, "Look, um, I'm not breaking any laws," and he's like, "Well, yeah, it's in your um your housing authority or whatever uh, handbook," and he's like, "No, that says I can't post a sign." He's like, "I'm not posting a sign. I'm holding a sign." 
And this police officer goes back and forth with this guy. Yes, the guy was being a dickhead. I get that. But this police officer was going back and forth with this guy for like 20 minutes on taxpayers' money, arguing with this guy whether or not he can stand there and hold a yard sale sign on the sidewalk. That's crazy. And I mean, that's indefensible from the cop, from the standpoint of the cop. And a lot of people will say, well, the cop's got to enforce the laws. The laws are in the books. He's just doing his job. <laughs> Uh, is he? Is he just doing his job? I think he's just being an asshole. Right. Like I said, the the guy was being an asshole too, but but like by right, I mean at some point you just gotta be an asshole back because I mean otherwise you're just rolling over for whatever you you whatever they say. And that's basically what they want is um for you to just freaking roll over and and do whatever and pay whatever taxes they tell you to, but um, you're going to get that asshole that's just going to be like, you know what, I'm just going to waste your time today too because you wanted to waste my time. Yeah. Yeah, and if you're going to try to waste a cop's time like that and push back on them, you better have your ducks in a row. Make sure all your paperwork's in line. <laughs> yeah, and that, that was the thing. Um, this officer sat here for 20 minutes trying to look up the law that said this guy couldn't stand here with his yard sale sign. He's like, you can waste your time all you want. He's like, I've already looked it up before I did it. He's like, what are you, what are you doing? He's like, hang on a second. He's on his laptop. The cop's on his laptop, just clearly wasting time. When he came to the conclusion that he couldn't find the law that said he couldn't, the cop ended up driving off. But that wasn't till after the 15, 20 minutes that he sat there wasting time when he could be doing other um, public service things that actually benefit people. Crazy. Yeah. And I, so what so I liked about your about list. Number four was no knock raids. Right. Yeah. I think we talked about that enough. Yeah, 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 yeah we yeah, did. Yeah. What else is we got? Uh, we got qualified immunity. Um, explain that a little bit because um, not too many people even know what that actually means. I had to look it up to even know what it actually meant. Yeah. So essentially, what it does is it's a, uh, a federal statute that protects police officers from civil um, lawsuits mm -hmm. and so so the so the way that it that it does this it doesn't it doesn't factor into the criminal side of things so we're talking about brianna taylor um the criminal side what happened there with those officers not getting charged that has nothing to do with qualified immunity but what it does is for uh you know an officer can can claim qualified immunity and it's up to the believe it's an up to the judge to, to decide but it has to be able it, it, they have to be able to prove that the actions violated a clearly established federal law or constitutional right which is i mean that's very very rare to happen right and also on top of that um like how many so there's only i forget what the stats are but you know, very, very, very infrequently does qualified immunity get challenged. Um, and people would say, well, that's, you know, that, that, then that, that shows that, that it holds up. But, you know, how many people are going to have the money to hire a lawyer to, to, really, to really fight it? Right. But the couple of cases that come to mind that, that I've seen, there was a case where uh, there was a warrant for a raid on a, on a house and the woman who owned the house had given permission to raid the house. There was one of her relatives or maybe boyfriend that was hold, hold up in the house and was uh, 
I don't think he had any, he didn't have anyone captive or anything. But uh, the cops are trying to negotiate with him, get him out of the house. They end up freaking just destroying this house. And the woman was saying, you guys can just, you know, you can go inside. You know, they, they had a right to go inside the house. Uh-huh. They destroy this house with flashbang <laughs> grenades. And uh, so the woman goes to sue oh in civil court. Officers claim qualified immunity. Get off. Can't press charges. The craziest one is there were a bunch of officers uh, pursuing a, uh, a criminal and they come across a bunch of kids in a yard playing with a dog. And they tell all of the kids to get on the ground and, uh, of course, shoot the dog. God. And yeah, uh, also one. shot one of the kids in the, uh, in the leg. Sue, civil court, qualified immunity claimed, can't, uh, you know, and, and it was upheld by the judge. That's so it's, it really puts police officers on a tier above citizens. And you know, I'm not an expert in the in the legalese of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when it talks about it has to you have to be able to prove that it uh, violates clearly established federal law or constitutional rights. Basically, I think what that means, there has to be an existing case you can point to in, in order for uh, right. in order for it not to be able to be implemented. Hmm. Interesting. Um, that kind of what that kind of does is it. Well, not kind of. It definitely takes the accountability out of what a police officer does. If you mm-hmm. if you're holding a police officer like they're personally liable for whatever they do, and this kind of goes into your next one: stop using taxpayer funds to pay the victims of police brutality. Too, um, if you're if the the officer himself is responsible for um, paying uh, the families of victims or paying the victims, whether it's the twelve million dollars to Breonna Taylor's family or it's whatever million dollars to the kid they got shot in the leg, um, they're going to probably think twice before they do something like this because, hey, this is going to come out of my pocket, not out of um, the pocket of the, the police department, which in turn comes out of our pockets, the taxpayers. Yeah, it, it really it sets a, it makes it imbalanced. You know, life is all about cost-benefit analysis it's all about you know evaluating risk and you know everybody does this you sort of do it inherently as you go through life it's it happens it's happening in your subconscious police officers are doing it too and if you know in the back of your mind you know that you're not gonna that you're not gonna lose your house by by something you're doing that that's protected that you're not gonna lose your pension that that's protected that uh most of the time you're not even gonna lose your job in the case of all these police officers right. if you uh right if you end up killing someone or, or doing something freaking freaking crazy, but uh, it just, it needs to be t- in order for, you know, this to work more properly and for there to be a, a, you know, a scale where police officers actually suffer consequences at the very least, when we talk about stopping to use taxpayer funds, um, make these police departments go out and get insurance policies. And they'll say, well, how are they going to get insurance policies being police officers? Well, they're going to have to change the way they police in order mm-hmm. to get insured. And they might, they might have to put their pension on the line. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, these are trade-offs that have to happen. This kind of goes, right. this goes into what we talked about at the beginning, where there's just too much shit that they're enforcing. And there's right. you got to minimize the amount of possibilities of violent interactions between police and citizens. Mm-hmm. Well, and when you look at the police departments, you know, and some of the complaints they have is, you know, they understaffed. Um, 
underfunded, you know, that they can't keep up with the demand, you know, by cutting back on the responsibilities they have on the things they are responsible for, right. they wouldn't need that kind of funding. They could focus on, you know, areas of need rather than, you know, having to enforce city code or having to, you know, talk someone down off a ledge or, you know, I that kind of stuff. Yeah, right. No, de- um, definitely. Uh, I mean, I think a lot can be solved, as you were saying, and a lot can be solved in the government by downgrading their responsibilities just across the board. Mm-hmm. It's just um, when you get them doing too much, like you were saying, Bill, when you get them doing a million different things being pulled in 20,000 different directions, yeah, you're going to get cops that are overworked. They are um, working, what, 20-hour shifts or something like that. They're on edge already. They're um, having to deal with some asshole that's getting in their face because he wants to hold his freaking yard sale sign. And And they don't have the funding to train in de-escalation techniques. So they're just going to, you know, shoot the guy. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. So I, I just feel that speaking, um, of, speaking of training, go ahead. Speaking of training, I've heard, uh, and I, I don't know like the, the data behind this, but I heard uh, Jocko Wilnick talking about this on one of Joe Rogan's podcasts about how little police officers are trained. I mean, they're trained initially right. in the police academy, but like other than that, like their training year to year is almost non-existent, which is crazy oh, that to think. Me. Like for the amount of interactions you're having. You know, with with citizens and in violent situations, I mean, the fact that you're not having like de-escalation training just ingrained in you and going through different situations and scenarios, and you know, things are always changing in society with you know how how things are handled and there's new technology coming out and police officers aren't being trained on a lot mm-hmm. of this stuff. It's it's freaking crazy. Well, especially when you consider that they're they're given military hardware to to work with. You know, it's like and. You know, not even a fourth of the training. It's not that much better in the military. <laughs> um, we, I, I don't know about infantry. I wasn't infantry, but um, we had our annual training things that we had to go through different classes. And it was literally just like a click through PowerPoint. And you had to put your name on something. It was just like, just, just say that we did this. So yeah. we don't, so the commanders doesn't get, don't get in trouble. Right. And then, um, the people over you have to say they did it so they didn't get in trouble. So, it's, yeah, it's just a, a name on a line. And I'm imagining the police force is probably the same thing. <laughs> yeah. we. I mean, we did um, our annual, like, rifle shooting, but still, even that wasn't like you're going into combat. You're just laying down and shooting at a target. So it's not like you're being annually trained for these situations. Like I said, I don't know if it's – it could be completely different for the infantry, the people right. that are doing it on a daily basis. But – from my experience, it's it. The military is not that much better, and we were dealing with military vehicles and and stuff like that too. So, right. so yeah, it doesn't surprise me at all, actually. Yeah. Hmm. There's I'm a super civil delay. asset forfeiture. Yeah, <laughs> I, I wasn't sure if we still had a delay or what was going on because there's like a couple seconds delay, so I got a pause. To make sure you, you're caught up, and then, um, yeah, before I start talking over you again. So, um, yeah, let's get into the last yeah, no one. Um, and civil asset forfeiture. Uh, I'm assuming um, everyone can kind of figure out what that means. Just the police force just taking your your shit when they deem necessary, basically. 
yeah essentially it doesn't <laughs> doesn't even need to be you you don't have to commit it anything don't have to have committed a crime or be alleged to have committed a crime just that uh you know it's just the allows the police to confiscate any property that they allege could have been involved in a crime so there there was one case recently here in Pittsburgh where a lady was going through uh, TSA checkpoint at the airport and she was flying from Pittsburgh up to Boston where she lived. She'd been visiting her, uh, her dad in Pittsburgh who was elderly and he had like, I don't know, $50,000 or something like that, that he'd been literally keeping like under a mattress in his house. Cause he you know, didn't want to put it in the bank, but you know, getting older, probably wanting to uh, put it in a will or something or something like that, or, maybe needing it for care later in life. So when to set it aside, he wanted his daughter to take it back to Boston and, and set up, set it up, put it in a bank account. So she calls the TSA ahead of time and says, is it okay if I bring whatever it is, 50,000, $25,000 through security and fly in the plane into Boston? I'm doing this for my dad, blah, blah, blah. TSA says, yeah, sure. No problem. Just declare it. So she goes through doing that, follows all the steps. She's going through security. And they confiscate the money. They take all oh of the God. money oh my because it could have been involved in a crime. Why would you mm. be carrying this much money around? No one would be, would be carrying this much money unless they were buying drugs with it. Because <laughs> it's be my money. <laughs> mm. So, I mean, terrible that happened. Thank God. Eventually, like six, eight months later, she gets the money back. But Wow. A lot of the time that that doesn't happen. A lot of times right. it goes to buy. I think they can do anything they want with it. Right. They can yeah. buy TVs for the station. They can put it towards, you know, vehicles. They can mm -hmm. do whatever the hell they want with the money. They have no requirement to, uh, to give that money back. Yeah. There's, for, there's no accountability for, uh, property, with it. Stolen cars, whatever. So that just stays in position of the police department or in the possession of the police department. Well, whether they deem it's necessary to give it back or not. There's no protocol of where that's supposed to go or, or, or who that goes to. It just stays there at the police department. Yeah. Yeah. I think it can. Yeah. I don't think there's a protocol and, for it. I mean, yeah. may, maybe some have their own protocols, but that's insane. That, that couldn't possibly be abused ever. Oh, right. Yeah. Well, I was telling Craig about how I was talking to a, a police officer and he was showing me the camera system that they had put in. And it was from things that they had requisitioned from, you know, busts. So the, the big screen plasma TVs and, and, you know, the cameras and stuff were all things that they had gotten from, you know, people that they had busted. <laughs> it's ridiculous. And then they brag it's about it. It's like, look at this. Oh, yeah. Thing. He was completely cool bragging about it. Yeah. Like, oh, look at this system I put together. So obviously um, there's there are good reasons for seizing people's assets like. Somebody who's a flight risk, like freezing their accounts, is that the same? Is that the same thing, or is that something completely different? Well, I think it started with the uh, with the mafia is where civil asset forfeiture came from. Okay, because they couldn't really put like a finger on they they couldn't really prosecute these people because they couldn't you know attach them to a crime, but they you know would see you know, these expensive cars and items of luxury that sort of, you know, gave the impression, where was this money coming from? There's no paper trail for it. So it gave them a mechanism to, to uh, basically t take their stuff. And then um, that, that was, that was the way they were fighting back against the mafia. 
And mm-hmm. all all that does is piss them off and make them want to commit violence against you. So right. again, escalates things to violence when 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 you're taking something from an already possibly dangerous person for basically no reason, no legal reason. It's just like, hey, I'm going to just take your shit. I mean, that's obviously going to escalate really quickly into a violent scenario when somebody's getting their stuff taken away from them. Yeah. Absolutely. So, uh, well, we are kind of pushing your time because you wanted to get out of here by nine, you said. Um, I, I, So you have these, before we go, you have these uh, things for police reforms. I don't want to dig too deep because you don't have a lot of time. So, uh, but there are all these people calling for the abolishment of police. This isn't the same thing, I'm assuming, as apol- abolishing completely the police force. This is just steps that you think should be implemented to to change the police force, or do you think it just needs to kind of be wiped clean and then um, kind of built from scratch following some of these steps? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say that this... I think these are easy steps that most people should be able to get behind when they think about them, that, you know, are a path forward outside of abolishing uh, the police. I really don't think, I don't think in the United States, most people are ready for abolishing the police, just like I don't think most people are ready for welfare to go away or are ready for um, a lot of industries to be deregulated, Mm -hmm. I guess, because they don't, they don't understand, uh, you know, what would happen. And there might be some initial pain uh, that would follow. And then, you know, the, the blame for that pain would be placed on, you know, abolishing the police, where if you would just work through it as a community, you could, uh, you could overcome those obstacles. But I think this is, this is sort of incrementalism towards a more free society. I, you know, I'm, and I'm not necessarily like a abolish the police guy. You know, I, I'm not necessarily opposed to it either. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it, like I said earlier, I think it could work depending on the, the situation. Um, but I think you're, you're going to need something to replace it. You know, if somebody, if you have a violent situation, if you have, if you have a standoff, if you have, you know, somebody causing mayhem, mayhem in your, uh, your neighborhood, in your town, you're going to need some sort of um, mechanism to fight back against it, to apprehend that person. Right. Uh, if you have a murderer on the loose, you got to have some way of tracking them down to, to bringing them to justice. So if you just get rid of police, you have to replace that with some sort of function right. that acts as police. So I, are you really I, abolishing police or are you abolishing the idea of the way police are acting now? And I, I, I think that all the people that are screaming for the abolishment of police haven't I haven't heard a good case coming out of, like, say, Black Lives Matter or whatever these other groups are that are calling for the abolishment of police. I haven't heard a good argument of, well, what replaces that? It's just like, well, let's just end it and then go from there. It's like you can't do that in a situation like the police force that is supposed to be protecting life, supposed to be protecting life and protecting our freedoms and stuff like that, whether they are or not now. You can't just have this mentality of, well— just get rid of the bad and we'll figure out the good after we get rid of the bad. You have to have, like you said, something to kind of fill in that void, something to to take place of it so things can continue in a positive direction. If you just completely get rid of bad and just leave it to just go to complete shit, then 
it's going to go downhill really fast before it starts coming back uphill, in my opinion. Yeah, which is what I'm afraid is going to happen in Minneapolis, which I, I don't know if they're still moving forward with that. I, I believe they are. but I, 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 I mean, think they're backtracking yeah, as of like today. There so. was just an article I saw before we went on the air where they're they're backtracking now. So they're saying okay. uh, that we're not going to be able to keep that promise. Sorry. <laughs> Because, because they if you, I mean, think about it. if you have, you know, businesses there that, you know, they're going to want some form of security, right? You know, if, if there's a theft or something and they, you know, need to file a police report or if there's a, a violent situation in one of their yeah. stories and they need some backup, they, I mean, are you going to open, you're going to bring your business into that town if there's no plan in place to right. protect right. you? I don't think so. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I, something i would need to look up maybe you know john is there any country in the world that has made that step um successfully where they've abolished a, a, a government police force and taken steps privately uh i don't know um you yeah. know people point to uh there was a town in new jersey people say well they abolished the police and I, what was it uh abolish them or kill them and bury them <laughs> I forget the name of New Jersey, the name of the town, New Jersey, but uh, they didn't. All they did was they discovered their local police force and it went up like to the the county or whatever. So that was oh, okay. kind of a bullshit example. Yeah, that's that's not at all the same thing. That's that's bringing in more government. Then that's that's taking it from decent like decentralizing. That's actually centralizing it more. Yeah. So, John, I'll let you get out of here because I'm sure you have other things to do and um we've we've talked your ear off for at least two hours now so um it's great having you on this is the first time like i said i've i've talked to you in person yeah. um i know you have a lot of good stuff to to talk about on this issue and this year 2020 that i mean you can't talk enough about police reform with all the with the brianna taylors of the world the george floyd things going on um all these other stuff going on um you can't possibly have uh, too little to talk about on a show that's talking about police reform. Well, and the, the criminal justice system in the United States is is shit. So yeah. there's plenty to talk about. <laughs> right. It's great to have you on, though. Um, we will let you go for tonight. Um, I'd like to get you on again sometime um, if if you're willing to come back and let us pick your brain some more. Um, but thanks again for coming on. Sure. Thank you guys for having me on. Check out Felony Friday on uh lions the lions of liberty podcast we have three shows felony friday is one of them we also have a monday and a wednesday show hosted by mark clara monday and brian mcwilliams on wednesday so check them all out sounds good man um where can we um plug your social media again because i'm if you did no, say yeah, it i, I missed it yeah social uh, media so social media for lions of liberty the twitter and instagram are at lions of liberty on, on facebook uh follow whatever our page is it's facebook.com slash lines of liberty i think but uh then my personal <laughs> social media hit me hit me up it's uh just on uh twitter i'm at john odermatt and uh yeah you can follow me there yeah check him out on like he said the felony friday or check out all the other lines of liberty podcast um thanks again john for coming on we're gonna get you out of here definitely check out john and check out all his social media, check out his podcast, check out Lines of Liberty. Especially, we have quite a few um, libertarian-leaning listeners, so if you are one of those, um, the Lines of Liberty podcasts, all three of them are a direction you should go 
And even if you're not a subscribing libertarian like me, and I don't know about you, Bill, but I'm not a subscribing libertarian, but I lean more towards their viewpoints on most of the issues than than any of the other political parties. Yeah. A lot of good things to to listen to there and um hear there, even if you're not a subscribing libertarian. So thanks for uh joining us. Uh check us back out again next week. Um check us out on our social media too. Um everything at Break the Bill Pod. <laughs> Shut up, Bill. Bill's starting <laughs> to laugh at me because I'm losing my train of thought. Um it's late. So um, I'm just going to get you all out of there. So everybody have a good night. 